Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Scott Lewis. Scott is the co-founder of Spartan Investment Group, which operates over 6,700 storage units, 200 RV pads, has completed $11 million in development projects, and has raised over $42 million in private equity. So thank you so much for being on the show, Scott. Thanks, Charles. Happy to be here. So can you give us a little bit about your background professionally before getting involved in real estate investing? Yeah, so um, I kind of started out in high school as a framer building uh, residential houses. So that's kind of where I started. And then I went off to college and I did a degree in chemistry and marketing. Um, that didn't really take me into real estate, but it did take me into biotech sales. So that for a little while, uh, up until my upper 20s, and then I, I quit my job and joined the military. So I went active duty for a couple of years. And then when I came out, I joined the government kind of with the idea to grab a bunch of different skill sets like strategic planning, risk management, project management, so that eventually I would kind of start a company that turned into Spartan Investment Group and the just kind of happenstance that it was in real estate because I really enjoy the built environment. Interesting. So is there any other reason like why you chose real estate as your investment vehicle when you were uh, in this process? No, not really. I just had, I had some experience with the building side of the house. So mm -hmm. I really enjoy real estate. Um, I didn't, I did have a condo that was a rental property uh, that kind of showed me that I'm not a huge fan of residential uh, real estate. It's not my really forte, which is kind of one of the reasons why we pushed to self storage and RV parks. But um, there was no, there was no love of real estate. I didn't do it in high school um, or I'm sorry, in college. It was just something that I enjoyed um, and it was a good kind of natural fit with my kind of desire to build a business. Interesting. Okay. So what is your firm's current acquisition criteria? I mean, you, when you purchase self-storage and RV parks. Yeah. So we're looking to buy a lot this year. So if any listeners have uh, kind of leads, we're, we like to stay kind of terminal size of 40,000 square feet or more. Uh, it's okay. We can expand. We have a construction company that's part of Spartan that can go out and build. And we like the secondary and tertiary markets. We try to stay away from the REITs um, as much as we can, but um, we're looking in 31 different States. Uh, we have something called Spartan map. So www.spartanmap.com. If you've got an address and you put it on there and it lands in a blue square, we're interested uh, so that's kind of, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. I was going to the, the map. I, cause I did pull that up uh, when I was researching for this. So you, you focus on dozens of markets when acquiring assets, what criteria are you looking for when performing the market selection? Because there's literally, I mean, almost every state, there's a part of it that you're, you're in or interested in being in. Yeah. So self-storage is, is highly local. It's, it's very micro market. So there's, there's opportunities everywhere for storage. It's not, not necessarily based on the, the macros, but we do look at population growth and job growth, very, very similar to, to most of the market demographics that other folks are looking for. You want to look at growing markets, not dying markets. Yeah. And so is it difficult to, I, I was talking to someone there telling me that half of self-storage complexes are owned by mom and pops. 
And um, I, I, I'm not sure if that's true or not, but it sounds in my research of using self-storage, when I search for it, I kind of see that, that that could be true. Does it make it more difficult to source deals and create broker relationships with such a broad spectrum of markets? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, storage is a relatively small place and you're right. Um, industry, the, the, the statistics kind of vary somewhere between 68 to 73, 74% are still owned by mom and pops. There's a lot of consolidation going on right now. Um, just because self-storage started has has been in the spotlight for a few years, but then Blackstone and Bill Gates didn't help matters any uh, by coming into it. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's only so many brokers um, for self-storage that are truly storage brokers. Of course, you get the one-off broker here or there that has their buddy's facility down the street that, you know, they were, they were drinking beers at the Elks Club and, you know, they gave, they gave them the listing. But for the most part, there's a few uh, very professional self-storage brokers out there and the big listings come through them. Can you explain the value add process for self-storage and kind of how that differs a little bit from multifamily? I think most people understand the multifamily where going in, you're updating the units, you're increasing rent over time. How do you increase value for a self-storage complex? Yeah, so I mean, it's very similar. You know, the operational improvements are obviously not going in and improving a concrete box, uh, but there are, it, there is facility improvements. Um, you know, similar if you were to take a class D multifamily that's I don't think there's too many dirt roads in multifamily, but a lot of the drive aisles and old storage facilities are just gravel or whatever. But there is physical improvements with enhanced security, better roads, patching roofs, new doors, um, in addition to operational improvements with just making things easier for your tenants, which allow you to push rents. Yeah, yeah I had, I was part of, I was renting a mom and pop one and it's been uh, soon bought out now, but it was so difficult to pay them. And uh, I was like, seriously, can you guys just like send me something, just do a subscription on my credit card. And it was the most difficult thing. I had to go through a third party and say, I'm like, oh my God, like it was, it's different from when you're going to one of the major players. And I mean, it couldn't be any easier for them to take your money. So I definitely see that part of it. It's interesting. One of our RV parks, we had that, uh, that phenomenon when we bought it. It was very difficult for the residents to pay and one of the things that we didn't as kind of a second order effect is we went in and made sure that it was very easy for the tenants to pay. Well, what we inadvertently did was eliminate two to $3,000 a month of late fee revenue. Now it wasn't legitimate late fee because the, our, our residents were being charged because they couldn't pay, like not because they didn't want to pay. So it was not good revenue for us to have anyways. But we didn't understand that second that second order effect that that's that was the reason why all these late fees were being charged, not because we had delinquent tenants. So that was in the underwriting. So we had to adapt and and, and create that revenue somewhere else, um, even though it was the right thing to do. Yeah, that's that's interesting because I I remember going to this place and uh, your access code wouldn't work. They're like, oh, you haven't paid. I'm like, are you guys charging? And they're like, oh. We, we haven't done that in a couple months or something. And you're like, wow, this is like, so it's amazing how that's, uh, I think it's the longer people own assets in commercial real estate, whether it's multifamily or self-storage, they get so set in that income coming in and they don't want to disrupt it and they don't want to kind of work for it. So. Well, they, they enjoy the mailbox money. Yeah. And you know, like you said, most, most storage is mom and pop. And, you know, an individual investor has a hard time kind of staying up with the times as technology and everything changes. 
and you know some of these storages have been owned for 20 30 years and in the last call it five to seven years somewhere in there there's been massive leaps in storage technology which is kind of funny to even say that but it is and um they the, the most of the owners just they they get checks on the door um and it's just not not an efficient way to do it no, no. So you guys, I was looking at your website, and you guys have a 675 point due diligence checklist that you follow when acquiring new assets, which is awesome. Are there any unique points in that that other operators might be overlooking that you guys uh, follow through on? Um, I don't know that overlooking. I think we go pretty deep in zoning. Uh, zoning is a really big way to win um, or to lose. If you're going in as a, in a value at value add expansion plane, you don't understand the zoning and the permitting process, and you stumble into a special use or conditional use permit that has a lot of different steps on it. That's one of the things that we go really deep on because most of our deals do have an expansion component. And when you underwrite, you know, a, a 10 to, you know, 100%, 200% uh, level of expansion, you miss those marks. And then suddenly you've got a pretty tough deal on your hands. So I would guess that that's probably one of the areas that we go really deep in based on our developer roots. With that type of development, do you, when you're buying the property, is that contingent on being able to get some zoning, zoning approval for those other units or the other pads for those other units? It is. If it's anything other than matter of right, if it's a special use or conditional use mm -hmm. um, permit, then yes. We generally make the closing contingent on the approval um, of a site plan, not necessarily building permits, but at least site plan. Yeah, it's interesting because I was told years ago from a developer in self-storage that because I would go to self-storage complexes and you'd go to them and they might have, uh, you know, uh, two buildings built, but they'll have all these other pads out that they've already poured concrete on because they went for zoning on it and they don't have to go back if they already poured. And I was like, that's very interesting. And then they, you, so you just see like two already built, you know, buildings, whatever it is. And then they're like doing some makeshift kind of boat parking kind of thing to make some money on the side before they actually start building as their occupancy. So is that something that you guys kind of follow when you're going through with it? We do, and there's there's some uh, some construction efficiencies as well. When your dirt guys are out there and they're taking it to final grade, uh, you can't leave final grade exposed to the element. Um, so if you if you're going to pay to have the dirt guys out there, there's mobilization and demobilization fees that come with you know each trade getting out there. So it behooves you to have both your dirt and concrete guys kind of take it to their completion and then you can bring the steel guys in at any time because the concrete itself isn't going to go bad but if you were just to have a if you were to have to call the dirt guys out there back and forth one like once you get your facility up it can be kind of a pain in the neck to get those big machines back there to do your grade without massive disruptions to your customers versus the steel guys it's pretty easy those guys can work around that so there's there's some operational efficiencies in addition to kind of jurisdictional efficiencies that come with just knocking it out to concrete. Um, and then you can also move pretty fast. If you, if you miss your lease up in a positive direction and you, and suddenly you're all leased up in a month and you need more, uh, more units online, it's a lot easier just to go to steel than have to get the dirt guys out there. And like, there's no weather conditions when you're putting up steel versus concrete and dirt that are very much weather dependent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Especially uh, 
the different additives that they have to add to uh, concrete um, when different climates. Yep. So what systems and teams do you guys have in place to manage your assets uh, located throughout the U.S.? I take it you guys have on-site in every location, and, mm -hmm. and you must have uh, – how do you oversee that, and how do you train those people on-site? Yeah, so we actually have a national brand called Free Up Storage. So we have an entire property management function inside of Spartan Investment Group that's branded under Free Up Storage. And we use kind of some of the standard storage systems. There's a lot of off-the-shelf systems that you can use with some minor customization. So we have the digital systems storage is the one that we use for our property management platform. And then training, we have other learning management systems inside for customer service operations. And there's a lot of that training that goes on. So going uh, kind of circling back to when you guys are doing development, when you're doing self-storage, do you have a similar business plan when you're doing RV parks? I imagine that's a little bit harder to add more pads onto an RV uh, park or mobile home park um, with local governments and local, local ordinances um, than with adding more units to self-storage. Do you guys do that as well? So we, we do. We're actually, we, we have a ground up development in Squim, Washington. That's a brand new mobile home community. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've added RV slots to one of our parks, not the other one, not yet. It's because it's oil-based, so probably not, mm. not a great play right now. Uh, might be, though, because oil seems to be coming back. But it just depends on the jurisdiction. There's jurisdictions out there that are very anti-storage. Um, oh. it's, not, not, it's, it's, it's a business that takes up a lot of land, and it doesn't drive a lot of revenue from sales tax, and it doesn't drive uh, a lot of jobs like, say, a Best Buy would. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of jurisdictions out there that are not super thrilled with additional storage. In fact, there's moratoriums going on in certain just jurisdictions around the country. So it really just depends on your jurisdiction. We're in, we are looking at a deal in one jurisdiction right now that specifically calls out in their comprehensive plan to build mobile home parks. So that particular jurisdiction really wants additional affordable housing, which is it's a shame that there's this juxtaposition out there that there's no affordable housing and the jurisdictions are kind of against mobile home communities. So when you guys are looking at these different markets and I knew like a couple of years ago, I was at a self-storage conference and um, they were saying just in parts of Texas, there were like 20 self-storage complexes that were in construction. Um, do you see that um, if you're buying areas with moratoriums, obviously that's a plus for you because you have a moat around your business, but are you seeing that as an issue with people building new parks or excuse me, new storage facilities uh, taking away from where you guys are or where you potentially might be? So absolutely, storage is based on demand and it's very micro. So something that's two miles away in a primary market like Denver, Seattle, that two miles could be an eternity based on population density versus two miles somewhere in rural Texas that there's three people and 400,000 cows in that same two miles, right? So it just really kind of depends on where you're at. Um, storage kind of had a moratorium on building, not a moratorium, but just kind of a, a lull on building for a lot of years in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's definitely had a resurgence over the last, probably since 2012. So we're almost going on 10 years of building now. So there is definitely markets that are becoming very saturated, but even within those saturated markets, you can pull out uh, intersections that could still support additional storage. It's definitely a concern. You have to be careful with that and really understand demand. Um, is there a mode around it? It just depends on the jurisdiction. Um, so it's not, it, it's, 
some places there's high barrier to entry, but that could be said for multifamily or retail or anything else. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, if you're in that right neighborhood, because I think it's it's something that uh, you get it close to residential areas and people love it. And um, they're, it's going to be different if someone has to drive 15 minutes away and how often they're going to be using it or what they'll pay. So that's very interesting. Yeah, same thing. It's, I mean, I guess with multifamily, it's very market specific, very it comes down to the neighborhood, really and how one building three blocks away will rent much differently and have different traffic for people wanting to rent than something <clears throat> three blocks in the other direction. So it's very interesting. Yeah, we kind of, we started in residential and it was in DC and Pennsylvania Avenue is kind of a landmark um, in the district. And south of Penn, kind of on in Southeast DC, there's probably between that and north of Penn and Northeast DC, um, in, or I'm sorry, in Southeast DC, that's literally one block, but it's probably the difference of if you're selling condos, 50, 60, $80,000 per condo. And it, it, you could throw, you literally could throw a rock at the two different condos and it would just be very, very different. Interesting. What kind of financing are you guys getting for? I mean, I know there's a couple of lenders that are out there that kind of focus on self-storage. Are you, what kind of debt do you usually find? Is it with local banks and credit unions or are you guys using national lenders uh, or does it differ depending on the project and uh, if it's stabilized or not? The latter. It's, it's latter. definitely different depending on the project. We have everything from life insurance money down to uh, a local bank. So it's really kind of project dependent. Some of the projects have a little bit more fur on them. So the, the big life insurance money or debt funds are not super interested in that uh, versus when something it doesn't have as much fur on it, if it's a lease up or kind of a stable play those guys are interested in it because it's a basically a self-licking ice cream cone at that point. So it just really, it, you know, we pull out the right tool for, for whatever the job yeah. is we need to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So what mistakes do you commonly see other real estate investors make within self-storage and RV parks as you're maybe throughout your travels and throughout your business? Yeah, I think it's pretty uniform across the board, right? There's a, there's a saying out there that I despise and it's ready, fire, aim. Uh, and that's, I, I understand what the folks who are using that saying are getting to, but I'm, I don't think any of them were actually like, have ever actually used a weapon where they needed to conserve ammo. I, I, I have. <laughs> so it's one of those that I, I get why you don't want to aim, 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 and never fire. But at the same time, you should probably learn how to use that weapon and aim so that you can do that quickly uh, versus like hoping for the best hope is not a strategy. And I think that's happening a lot right now that in all asset classes, mm -hmm. there's definitely dumb money chasing every single deal out there. We're in kind of unprecedented economic times right now. And I think that's probably what we're seeing is we're, we're getting beat out by offers that, that mm -hmm. are just bananas mm -hmm. and, and maybe they'll win by cap rate compression and, and this economy will keep roaring and keep going. And if it doesn't, then this could be fantastic deals for us. Um. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. There's going to be some sort of uh, contraction or something that pullback that will happen in the future that uh, I think a lot of new investors, especially the ones within syndication of all different commercial asset classes, uh, are, are going to be surprised when it happens. Um, so what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success? I think kind of you know, our values are, are grit, growth, respect, integrity, tenacity, and transparency. I think really being a value values-based organization with really good planning metrics and adaptability have really kind of set the conditions that we've been able to, to grow pretty well. I mean, uh, the sign behind me, the Inc. 500, we were number 308 out of 5,000 nice. uh, of the fastest growing public company, private companies this year. 
And I think that's really like we built out our strategic plan, which is available on our website if anybody's interested in kind of seeing where we're going. And we've stuck with that plan and we've built in a certain amount of adaptability within that strategic plan so that we can adapt to our, our, our operating environment, whatever it is. And I think just really never quitting. So tenacity, like when you're in real estate, tenacity is something that you absolutely have to have. It's not fast. There's no get rich quick. There's no figure out the tech code and then sell a billion units. That's not how we operate, right? It takes a long time and there's a lot of nuance and you just got to just grin and get through it. And how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Scott? Yeah, so we are at www.spartan-investors.com. And anybody who wants to invest with us, there's an invest now button on there. We are uh, doing a big round of hiring right now. So if anybody's interested in working for Spartan and you think you have what it takes to be a Spartan, then jump over to our careers page. And if anybody's just got questions for me, hit me up, scott at spartan-investors.com. Yeah, and I have to say, you guys have a lot of helpful and informative videos on your website. So definitely, if you're interested in self-stored RV parks, head over to their website, and I will put that link into the show notes. So thank you so much for being on today, Scott. Thanks, Charles. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars Incorporated exclusively.